0: Please be seated. In the words of St. Francis of Assisi to Brother Dominic on the road to Umbria. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm glad you're here. And I want to talk to you this morning about the most important thing. You ready? The most important, I mean, you came out to the of Transfiguration. you might as well hear about the most important thing that can absolutely change your life and absolutely transform all of your relationships. Does it sound too good to be true? Yeah. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, the most important thing that can possibly happen in your life is to come to a deep awareness of how much God loves and adores you so that we can get to a place where we can rest in God's peace. Imagine that for a moment. To come to a place after all the living, after all the things that have happened, to to know that you are loved and adored by God. Now, imagine that for your children. Would there be any greater gift? To finally if but for a moment settle into the superabundant love of God that comes to you right now and wants to enter your heart. So let's do a pop quiz, shall we? You Ready? Okay, didn't think you were going to get quizzed in church. That's probably why y'all are sitting in the back over there. How many of, of us here believe that God loves us? by a show of hands. Very nice. Okay, ready? How many of us believe that God likes us? <laughs> okay. Nervous laughter. Always a sign that there's some work to be done. Because there is. Because we are constantly being told that we're not enough. That's the, that's the battle. We're not smart enough. We're not good looking enough. We're not thin enough. We're not rich enough. We don't volunteer enough. We don't go to church enough. We don't give enough. That is the voice of the enemy. And we take that voice on and we we put it on ourselves, don't we? and when will it ever be enough? As if there's a moment in our lives that we reach a threshold where we get a sign that says, other people finally approve of me. I can now rest. So it's the longest journey, but it's the most important journey. And sometimes it can happen in the quiet, in the stillness of a chapel like this, where God breaks through and we hear his voice. One of the people that's taught me a great deal about the grace and mercy of God is a man called Brennan Manning. I don't know if you've heard his name. Pretty amazing person. He struggled with being enough that got him into a cycle. You know how you get into those cycles and it's almost like it just kind of takes over. You all, you all of a sudden find feel yourself just moving senselessly, doing this, doing that, acquiring more. And he finally reached a place where it took such hold of him that he, that he started to drink too much. And you know what drinking too much is all about. It's really about numbing. Numbing that 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 pain, and he became a a pretty pretty complicated alcoholic. There was one guy who really loved Brennan, and and every time Brennan found himself in a really really difficult place, his friend, ah, oh, the blessing of a true friend, would say to him, Brennan. I know it's really hard. I know you're going through a lot. But I believe in you. And God believes in you. And I hope in time, you'll let that sink into your heart. And then it happened on a retreat in a chapel in the Allegheny Mountains. And I'll tell you what he said. He said, in the 48 years since I was first ambushed by Jesus, and a little chapel in the Allegheny Mountains of western Pennsylvania, and after literally hours of prayer, meditation, and silence, and solitude, I'm now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day the Lord Jesus is going to ask each of us one question and one question only. Did you know that I desired you? That I loved you? That I waited for you day after day? That I long to hear your voice? He said the real believers are going to say, yes, Jesus, I finally got to that place and I believed it and I tried to live my life in response to it and rest in the peace of us, of it. But he said so many of us who are so faithful, and you all are so faithful, look at you here on Sunday morning. <laughs> Some of us who are so faithful in our church going are going to say, well, sir, frankly, I never really believed it. I mean, I heard a lot of wonderful sermons about it but I always thought it was a kind of a way of speaking, a sort of a pious, kindly lie to make me feel better about myself. He says that's the difference between what he calls real Christians and nominal believers that are bound in bondage across the land. He says no one can measure like a believer the depth and intensity of God's love, but at the same time no one can measure like a believer, the effectiveness of gloom, pessimism, low self-esteem, self-hatred, and despair that blocks our way to God. He said, do you remember the famous line of the philosopher Blaise Pascal, God made man in his image and man returned the compliment? Too often we make God in our own image. And it turns out that he's as fussy, rude, narrow-minded, and legalistic and unforgiving as we all do. But here's the God of the Bible. The God revealed in Jesus Christ who says this. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every darkened moment, every disappointment. And I dare you to love Yourself as I love you, just as you are, and not as you should be. Because, friends, you're never going to be as you should be. Which means we need to stop shooting on ourselves. <laughs> Nothing is more powerful than to know the love of God. Because if we don't know that love, we will be absolutely wrapped in pain in a deep way for the rest of our lives. One of the most moving stories that I ever heard was a story about a man called Ronald Mallet. Ronald Mallet wrote a book about time travel and about his own experience with the loss of his father. It's been said that one of the most important things that you get, that a child can hear from their mother or father is that I love you, that I'm proud of you. It's the basis of our self-esteem. And Ronald loved his, loved his father. His father had a very sophisticated job that made him think he was the most amazing person in the world, Ronald thought. He was a plumber. <laughs> and Ronald couldn't wait until his father would come home because his, his father was so handy they would make things, they would create things and it was always really exciting until the day that Ronald's dad died of a heart attack and he missed him so much he, he had that terrible voice and so he decided one day as he was walking along and picked up a magazine that told of time travel, remember HG Wells' time machine? And he thought to himself, here's what I'm going to do. This is going to be my life's journey. I'm going to build a time machine so that I can go back in time and save my father. You know, kind of like we wish we could go back in time and maybe stop something that happened that we haven't yet to forgive ourselves for. So he truly, truly studied physics, mathematics, quantum mechanics, everything that you can imagine. Graduated with PhD from Penn State, went and became a professor at a university, spent all of this time. It was a total obsession, kind of like you and I get obsessed with being able to get it figured out, and do it right, and finally have our act together. Is anybody with me here? (laughs) Yes, we'll finally get it right. And everybody around him thought he was crazy. And he, and he powered through two destructive marriages where he had completely abandoned his family. And then one day he wrote an article. This crazy person, the scientific community thought, finally had an article that was worth reading. And it was so meaningful that they invited him to come to the equivalent of like a CERN, where he was able to stand in, in, in an auditorium massive auditorium with all these scientists from around the world. Can you imagine how intimidating that must have been? And he stood up there and he presented his life's work. And at the end of the lecture no one said a single thing. There was no applause. And then one man stood up. His name was DeWitt. He was a protege of Einstein. And he said the the exact words that this man who was so bound up needed to hear. He said, Ronald, thank you for your lecture. And I don't really know if you'll ever be able to build a time machine, but I want you to know this, your father would be very proud of you. And he said at that moment he realized that he didn't need to build a time machine because his father already loved him and he didn't have to prove anything. He simply had to do that difficult work that you and I need to do which is to accept the fact that all Tillich says that we've already been accepted. In the final, one of the final acts of The Color Purple, do you know The Color Purple, the great musical? There's this incredible sign of, of victory and the struggle to love and to be loved and to love ourselves. It's Seeley who's been told by everybody that she's never going to amount to anything, that she's not a good person, that she's ugly. That she has no talent. She's felt that all her whole life. And then there's this incredible moment where she has a reckoning, where she has a reckoning with God and a reckoning with self-love. And she sings this witness, this testimony. She says, I believe I have inside of me everything I need for a bountiful life. And with all the love alive in me, I'll stand as tall as the tallest tree, and I'm thankful for each day that I've been given, both easy and the hard ones that I'm living. But most of all, I'm thankful for loving who I truly am. Because I'm beautiful. Yes, I'm beautiful. Those are the words that God has for you this day. He knows you. He knows your whole life story. He knows everything that you think and feel. And He says, I love you. And I'm proud of you. And you're here. And I am here. I will be with you always